welcome to the Decrypting Crypto podcast. It's October 27th and this is Off Chain, your weekly recap of the biggest stories in Web3. I'm Matthew Howes-Barbie and thankfully I'm back with my co-host <laughs> this week, Austin Knight. How you doing, Austin? Doing well, Matt. It's uh, good to be back. You know, I had to leave you hanging there last week because I just won't talk with you when you're in between transitioning uh, prime ministers. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty, it's pretty frequent that that, that yeah. happens. Yeah. In fact, I realized this morning that the last three times we've spoken, each time you've had a different prime minister. So congrats to the UK on that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a spectacular record. Something that I hope the conservative government here maintains its track record of each week we can bring in. <laughs> Uh, a, a whole new, I, I, I say, quote, leader, unquote, of the uh, of the country. But yeah, it's uh, wonderful times over here in the UK. I think now pound sterling is is worth two cent, maybe. Uh, I think something in that in that region. Uh, so you know, we're doing good. We're doing good. <laughs> well. Uh, we've got some other interesting news to talk about today, ranging from Reddit NFTs all the way to stablecoins on FTX. Some interesting updates with Apple's NFT App Store terms and a quick little roundup on Mango Markets and the attacker's situation. So all of that coming up next. Reddit NFTs, or or should I say their collectible avatars, have taken the market by storm. So we've if 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 you haven't been following what's been happening in the in the NFT space, in particular with Reddit, which is basically accounting for all of the NFT space uh, discussion over the past week at least, Reddit has seen just under three million users sign up for their crypto wallet so far, the Reddit vault. And uh, for context here, they launched their NFT marketplace, which they actually launched back in July of this year, to sell their uh, collectible avatars. It's, it's very, the, the reason why I emphasize this is that they are not referring to these as NFTs. I mean, they acknowledge that they are NFTs, but in no way, shape or form are they really promoting this as like a big push for NFTs in any way. And what's really interesting is when you look at the all-time users, um, i.e. like unique traders across all of the NFT marketplaces that exist, they are leading the way. They have 2.8 million all-time kind of users, unique traders within their marketplace based on like wallet address. That is more than OpenSea, 2.3 million. Axie Infinity, of course, the highest grossing NFT project of all time, 2.1 million users there. And Magic Eden, 1.2 million. You can check out all those stats on DAP Radar. But I think what's, what's most impressive about this is the fact that their avatars all... 2.945 million of them, there are actually 2.85 million unique holders. So what that means is that 99.1% of all, um, all of the 
collectible avatars that Reddit has mint, have minted, they own just a single NFT. I, I, I can't begin to get across how rare that is in the NFT space, which is notoriously dominated by whales. And that's not just the NFT space, that is the crypto space. Getting this kind of distribution of holders is probably unheard of at this stage. Um, and when when you kind of have a little look at the the daily trading volume, Monday was when kind of everything really exploded, and to an extent Sunday as well. But on Monday, daily trading volume surpassed 2.4 million US dollars in the, the Reddit um, marketplace. And it's worth calling out the only thing listed in that entire marketplace are the collectible avatars from Reddit. When you compare that to like the largest NFT marketplace by volume, OpenSea, on the same day, they did 5.2 million, so just about double. But they they account for like pretty much every NFT collection, which is listed in OpenSea. Board apes, the lot, right? So, you know, that's that's a huge amount. You look at Magic Eden, they only did 1.3 million USD on um on, on Monday. And to be fair with Magic Eden, their their daily volume has been falling off a cliff. Um so just kind of digging in a little bit into the collectible avatars, what's what they've basically got a whole host of creators, artists that have put together artwork. They they were selected by Reddit. Um, you had to come, go and apply as a creator to be able to create Reddit avatars. And they released a whole host of collections. I think of all the collections that have that have. That are kind of been out there. Um, I actually have no idea how to even pronounce this, but it's all kind of part of the spooky season collections. And with one of the collaborators, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a go at saying this. Uh, Puai. I don't really know how to actually pronounce this. I just type it a lot. Um, it's been the most popular with a total of 984 ETH in seven day volume. That's a lot. This is just in secondary sales, but the largest individual sale. On the secondary market has been uh, the the hands number one avatar from the senses collection, which sold for thirty ETH, so around about forty thousand five hundred USD at the time of the sale. And what's kind of crazy is, and this is at the time of recording right now on uh, on on Thursday, is when you go into OpenSea and filter the top kind of polygon collections over the past seven days ranked by trading volume, nine of the top 10 collections are Reddit collections. The Sandbox was the only non-Reddit collection in the entire top 10. So they, they really have taken over the space in kind of crypto winter. And I think, Austin, what, what I find really interesting about all of this, and the reason why I'm making a big deal about this, I know we don't always just talk about the, the plethora of NFT projects that kind of uh, moon through different cycles. This is a bit different because the fact here is that Reddit has marketed these NFTs at a mainstream non-crypto audience. And they're largely motivated by kind of community and ownership versus just 
pure speculation. I mean, secondary market activity to, to one side here. But this has to be seen as a really positive sign for crypto, especially when you consider we're pretty deep into a crypto winter right now. And when I just look at how this is paving the way for greater distribution of ownership and, and, and owners that typically, when a non-crypto audience thinks about NFTs, probably first words that come up into the head, things like scam, uh, bad, right? It's like not, not good connotations are attached to that. And Reddit have figured out a way to engage the, the non-crypto audience. That's really, really important. And uh, I think when uh, as, as someone who's in the GameFi space in particular, comparisons here, when you look at the influence of large guilds that own huge swathes of, of NFTs in big ecosystems like Axie and others, it's a, it's a real challenge. And having a larger distribution of players and holders is incredibly beneficial, not just for the game ecosystem, but also for governance. But I think Reddit have, have tapped into something here that's really interesting, right? Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that, you know, your point about the non-crypto audience is it's really important here. I, I know that, you know, a, a good portion of the NFTs were airdropped to Reddit's most active users. And uh, this ended up introducing those people, you know, many of them to NFTs for the first time. So this is also an opportunity for Reddit to, uh, you know, expand the addressable market in that respect. But mm. I think it's interesting as well to, you know, kind of focus in on this performance, like for, you know, what is effectively an NFT marketplace, but isn't being called that, right? And I, that's an interesting thing to unpack, like the motivations behind why these might be called avatars versus NFTs. Yeah. I, I think it's multifaceted. But if you look at these performance numbers, you have to imagine this is probably what, you know, Coinbase and many speculators expected the, the Coinbase NFT marketplace to perform like when it launched some months ago. And of course, that 100%. didn't go quite like this at all. And it really <laughs> makes you think about, you know, the difference between a launch on an exchange where, you know, to your point, the sole purpose is about exchange or speculation, you know, ownership, etc., um, versus a launch on a network where uh, the utility of the network is actually larger than the NFT itself. And it's more about community and participation and uh, status. And, you know, there's, there's utility to the NFT on the platform that goes beyond just exchange and speculation and ownership itself. Uh, and I, I think that, like, that's an interesting area to unpack and also to pay attention to as you think about mainstream adoption of anything typically like the mainstream adoption of a technology isn't focused on and centered on the technology itself like the technology itself is not the value proposition it's not the novelty it's some utility beyond the technology that that the technology is being employed as part of or is enhancing or something to that effect and i think you can definitely see that in this case Definitely. And that's where I think, you know, I, I, I think it's an important point that you, you draw on where the comparison between something like the Coinbase NFT marketplace, which is explicitly focused on ultimately the financialization of assets, right? And you look at this, and to your point, this is about community giving an existing, very avid community. I would say probably one of the most devoted 
online communities of all time, Reddit. And, you know, giving them ownership, status, um, an- another way to express identity within that community, it's incredibly valuable and, and extends and starts way beyond financial incentives. And, like, uh, the, 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 the thing, a real kind of annoyance for me, uh, especially in, like, the... Uh, the the Web3 gaming space that I hear a lot. It's like the comparison of Fortnite and how much cash is spent on in-game skins. And then GameFi Project's kind of using that and saying, well, look, people will buy all of our in-game assets in the same way. And it's like, no, they won't. People don't buy Fortnite skins because they're speculating on the price. Mm-hmm. They love Fortnite. And they want to increase their social standing within Fortnite. They want to increase utility within Fortnite. And they want to have like an, a sense of individualism within a large community that they feel a part of. That is what this is. You know, you've got Coinbase and it doesn't have that kind of populated community, that devoted community it can build into. It's, yeah, they have distribution on trading, but it's almost like the cold start problem that happens there where you have this completely devoted community that wants to express themselves, connect with other people and feels a sense of ownership already without NFTs. And then you're layering this on with the emphasis on community versus kind of just the technology. I I think this has to be looked at um, as as a really important early case study in in non-crypto adoption uh, of these assets and I, I heard from someone on twitter today when i was tweeting about this that um i believe playstation are about to do a similar type thing that they're also kind of framing as like collectible avatars and uh i think it's a clever move i imagine that going a similar way yeah really cool developments it's always great to see huge you know incumbents from web 2 uh adopting web 3 technology and uh, populating it throughout their platforms. That's a good sign. All right, 100%. up next. Yeah, uh, and coming up next, we've got some interesting news out of FTX. FTX may be launching a stable coin in the not too distant future. Wild, right? <laughs> so mm. uh, yeah, SBF or Sam Bankman-Fried uh, did an interview recently uh, and they were discussing the possibility of an FTX stablecoin. And he said, quote, I think you'll probably be hearing something from us on that in the not too distant future. Um, it looks like they might be looking to do it through a partnership, though. He continued to say, we've held off on doing it because I think to some extent we think that cooperating on that can be really powerful. And a lot of that ends with us trying to find the partners we'd be really excited to work with there. Now, well, I, I hear that um, Do Kwon is looking for some, <laughs> some, some new new work. <laughs> oh yes, maybe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> great partner. Um, now, of course, just to contextualize this, this comes a few days after SBF tweeted about the start of what he called the second great stablecoin war. Um, there was a bit of a tweet storm that he put out, um, sort of in response to Binance's move to auto convert other stable coins into its own stable coin, Binance USD oh, yeah. or BUSD, which we covered, uh, I don't know, a month or two back. Uh, it's been yeah. in progress for some time now. Um, 
And he noted that the first stablecoin war was fought in 2018 and ended with USDC and USDT edging out a bunch of other uh, coins that are, you know, basically uh, irrelevant at this point, uh, yeah. by and large. Um, but there are two different factors this time. One is that positive interest rates mean more revenue for stable coins. And also, mm. we've all learned the core lesson to never block redemptions or your stable coin will no longer be stable. So this all sort of indicates that now FTX is potentially seeing an opportunity to enter the space in what he is calling the second great stablecoin war. Um, also, something of note that he mentioned in the tweet thread is that he feels that FTX is probably one of the largest unaligned players in the stablecoin ecosystem. So he's he's personally viewing this as a gap and an opportunity. Yeah, Continuing, I, it's, I'm surprised they haven't done this already. I guess maybe to the point of like partnerships in general, but you look at the kind of the, the size of FTX now, the one of the the very, very few. I can't think of many others at their size. Maybe mycrypto.com. Um, I don't think they have a stable coin, but similar to that level that doesn't have a stable coin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, later on in the interview, SPF also confirmed that FTX is considering another round of fundraising too, which I think could be relevant to this in order to fuel its acquisition spree. So their current cash, cash position is between one and $4 billion. It's pretty good. Uh, that puts them yeah. in a good position to do some small and medium sized acquisitions. But SBF noted that if they want to do large acquisitions and they don't want to spend all of the cash that they have on hand, they're going to have to do a, a round of fundraising. And uh, of course, that brings up some speculation that has long been happening around the potential for FTX to acquire Robinhood. And he explicitly addressed that and said, quote, we could buy a company like Robinhood, but that's not what we're looking at right now. Our challenge is to grow organically. Uh, so that seems to kind of be an attempt to put the speculation about Robinhood to bed, but potentially other acquisitions and fundraising in the future for FTX as well. I think it's going to be really interesting. And I um, think we've seen with that SBF is a, a, a very talented operator. Um, do we need more stable coins in the space? I don't know. Potentially <laughs> doesn't hurt to have like some more, but I, we'll, we'll kind of see how this, this all plays out clearly. Binance with BUSD have been making some major moves this kind of past 12 months in particular, especially since launching um, the uh, BNB chain or at the time Binance Smart Chain last year, I think it was. Um, so I imagine them creeping up to, to, to become even bigger players. And yeah, FTX going head to head. And we'll see where that, that leaves the likes of USDC, but can't imagine them coming under much competition still at this stage it's gonna be yeah. it's gonna be interesting to watch hopefully it doesn't result in any more casualties that's what i would like not <laughs> to happen in all of yeah, this no kidding now uh speaking of casualties of course apple has been in the news a lot lately for some of their updates to their terms around tracking and their app store and transactions we've got some interesting developments on that coming up next So for a long time in the crypto space, 
um, at least. There's, there's been talk around how Apple will deal with NFT-based apps. And we started to see, especially near the beginning of this year, January time, some of the standout big levels of adoption of NFT-based native apps going into the App Store. I think Steppen, which we covered back in January, was one of the big ones there, and in particular, like the Web3 gaming space. And up until now, it's been a pretty gray area. It's not been easy to get apps into the App Store, and within there, you're kind of on uneven uh, land, really, in terms of what Apple is going to, to do next. But we know from all of the very well-covered uh, lawsuits that Apple has been embarking in with major app developers um, in the Web2 world that, you know, that 30% royalty that they're going to take on any in-app purchase probably not going to go away anytime soon. So they, really, uh, they recently, I think this week or maybe the very end of last week it was, updated their... Um, App Store terms to call out some additional guidance around NFT sales within the app. And I think this is really interesting. And like the, the updated guidance basically states you can sell NFTs in your app, um, but you can't have NFTs uh, that um, unlock features. Now, it's there's a lot of interpretation here that's happening and I'm seeing especially on crypto Twitter. I'm just going to read the exact line um, that, that was added or at least a part of that uh, term to um, section 3.11 of the, the App Store terms. So it says, Apps may use in-app purchases to sell and sell services related to non-fungible tokens, NFTs such as minting, listing, and transferring. Okay, so we can we can sell NFTs in the app. Apps may allow users to view their own NFTs, provided that NFT ownership does not unlock features or functionality within the app. Now, this is where I think there's been a huge amount of confusion because many people have interpreted this as, okay, you can sell NFTs in the app, but those NFTs can't unlock features in the app, which just doesn't make any sense to me because why, like... You know, why would you want to just sell an NFT inside an app if it doesn't unlock some kind of feature? And also, unlocking features or functionality is seriously broad. I here's here is my take. I I think that I don't believe that is actually the the the, the takeaway here. What I believe is the meaning here is that you can't sell NFTs outside of the app that give a user access to new features in the app. And this is basically about preventing the circumvention of the App Store ecosystem. Like, for, for example, let's say I need an NFT to enter a poker tournament in an app. If I can obtain that NFT within the app, and more importantly, pay that 30% fee to Apple, it will be okay. Whereas if to get that NFT, you have to come out to an external website, purchase it, and importantly, not pay the 30% fee to Apple, then it's not okay. This is my interpretation, at least. I've seen like some good commentary on Twitter around this. And where there's been a lot of like doom, I've had like 
uh, I think one of the uh, newsletters that uh, I subscribe to and really love, um, I'm just trying to remember the name of it now. They, they basically had uh, the drop and it just like the subject title of their email was Apple hates NFTs. And I, I, I don't actually think this is necessarily the case. I think that Apple loves money and uh, I think they, um, th- this is kind of the beginning of Apple signaling its intent to actually support NFTs uh, versus any level of aversion to them. Um, will, will they still want their piece of the cake? Of course they will. Of course they will. They're not going to let this rapidly growing sector within apps pass them by, nor are they going to let the profits from those pass them by. Um, they are going to become more and more open to NFT-based games, I have no doubt. I think there's going to be more infrastructure in place, the infrastructure in place that focuses on keeping those within the walled garden of Apple. That's my interpretation. I personally think in the near term, this is a good thing for the Web3 space. Long term, yeah, you know, it's it's kind of, um, I guess it's a better the devil you know situation. And this is ultimately where the uh, the users are right now and to come back to our our first story of reddit nfts or excuse me collectible avatars um we need to have ways of reaching non-crypto users and i do think that the app store needs to be one of those avenues yeah i i uh i tend to agree with you i think that you know of course um apple has long signaled its interest in taking part in uh, in-game transactions. Uh, we all remember, you know, not too long ago, Epic Games uh, getting into mm-hmm. a lawsuit with Apple over uh, Fortnite in-game purchases and what a huge deal that has been. Uh, this seems yeah. to be sort of a, a continuation of that trend. I would say, yeah, on the one hand, I'm happy to see some explicit acknowledgement and guidance around NFTs because I think you're right, Matt. It indicates uh, a desire to you know, support and take part in that. On the other hand, yeah, long-term, that 30% might start to feel pretty large. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And and I, I, it does raise some questions as well. What I think is really challenging is for, uh, especially someone who obviously operates in, in this space, I, I'm trying to even think about, you know, if, I, if you were doing in-app purchases of NFTs, if you're able to facilitate those purchases via crypto, which I imagine most like app developers would want to that are selling NFTs, how do you even, one, determine the price of that uh, 30%? You know, the, like that, that becomes a challenge. It can be done, right, based on like the exact USD uh, kind of uh, equivalent at the time. But then also, how do you pay it? You have to convert that immediately into USD. There has to be some infrastructure, basically, to facilitate the payout of those royalties. Um, and I think Apple needs to be able to be the ones giving them. I know that there's a lot of like great infrastructure out there, uh, pr- platforms like paper.xyz that effectively manage some of this, where it's like on-ramp for users, off-ramp for the developers into fiat but yeah it's going to be uh it's it's going to come with its challenges and that's why i think me seeing apple actually give some level of guidance i think will be a good thing because it will push and force them into 
um, building tooling and infrastructure that's needed for developers. But we'll keep tabs on that. We'll see how it develops. It's going to be a lot of conversation around it. And uh, let's let's actually move into our last story of the day with a with an update on all of the the latest developments in the mango markets uh, kind of drama. Um, <laughs> all right, Austin, take it away. Remember Mango Markets? We talked about it a couple weeks ago. Well, the attacker has outed himself and is now offering some hot tips for crypto trading on Aave. <laughs> so <laughs> That's the most crypto thing I, I have know. ever heard in my life. <laughs> yes. I got caught. Here's, here's some tips. Uh, wow. Here's okay, how great. you can do it too. Um, okay, so just a quick recap in case you're not familiar with what went down with Mango Markets. And this is partially inspired by a tweet from Alex Valetis uh, that, that went viral a couple days ago. Um, and we'll link to it in the description. But basically, uh, Mango Markets is a Solana DeFi trading platform. And they were drained of over $100 million a couple weeks ago via an Oracle price manipulation exploit. Effectively, what happened here is an attacker temporarily drove up the value of their collateral and then took out loans from the Mango Treasury against that collateral. And this wiped out all of Mango's liquidity, over $100 million. Um, then the attacker turned around and offered to return most of the funds if the Dow promised to repay some bad debt and not pursue criminal investigations. And then <laughs> the best part, the attacker used the 32 million votes that they got from the exploit to vote yes on the proposal. <laughs> Seems legit. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then, of oh. course, following this, the attacker outed himself as Abraham Eisenberg, who has previously been associated with taking millions of dollars from prior crypto exploits. This time, he says that he was working as part of a bigger organization. That organization has since returned about $67 million, which is a little over half of what was taken in the exploit. But now, <clears throat> Abraham is offering some tips for crypto trading on Aave. Uh, we'll link to the Twitter thread in case you're you're curious to see what he has to say here. But just to kind of uh, quick spoiler alert, you're gonna you're gonna need like a hundred fifty fifty to a hundred million dollars uh, in liquidity in order to do something like this. Um, but I got I uh I know a I know a good way where we can get our hands on some cash like that actually. Uh, <laughs> it, have you heard of Mango Markets? Uh, there's a ah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, this space just is really, it's really testing the notion of code is law, isn't it? Really, yeah. Here. It um, is. But yeah, wow. It's, What's uh, interesting about this this whole uh, you know thing with Ave in particular, though, is that it's basically using the same formula that was used in Mango Markets to uh, to exploit and drive up you know values of uh, assets and then take out loan loans against those assets and so on and so forth and eventually turn something like fifty million dollars or a hundred million dollars into um, five hundred million dollars. So <clears throat> yeah, we'll see if somebody actually takes them up on that. <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right 
Um, moving on from uh, one version of loss to another, uh, you may have noticed that Meta's Metaverse division has reported a $3.67 billion quarterly loss in their uh, latest earnings call. Um, I, I, I don't have much to say on this. I think a lot of people are, are talking about this and speculating around, you know, what it means for Meta. Obviously, uh, in after hours trading last night, the Meta stock took a pretty significant hit. Uh, I mean, one of yeah. the, the biggest overnight hits I think we've seen, like, to a uh, blue chip tech company ever, actually. Um, yeah, and... I think it was compounded as well with, like, ad revenue, yes. like, missing. And on top of that, with Alphabet, albeit a competitor, seeing a similar thing, which kind of shocked the market a little bit last night, right? And yeah. It seems like that's just, like, this compounding narrative around... The, these these large um, ad revenue centric companies having yeah. real concerns around the, the the next few quarters. Yeah, what I will say on this though is that um, I do admire Mark Zuckerberg's sort of commitment to uh, this direction. Uh, you know, despite mm. all of the resistance um, that he's yeah. been facing, you know, in the press, in tech circles, in the markets. Um, it really, to me, looks like uh, sort of, you know, a, a founder's attempt to fight for the future of their company um, amid, you know, losses of revenue growth um, in the ad space. And also maybe even revenue potential sort of going back to some of what Apple has been in the news for lately around, you know, blocking tracking and everything like that. You can argue whether or not that's a good thing of course but it is the reality for meta um so yeah, yeah. i it'll be it's, interesting it's conviction it is it's conviction like i haven't seen in a long time and you know in 10 years time if this pays off i mean he will be uh, like the critics will be scorned and yeah. he will be heralded yet again as a as a visionary it's like say what you like about mark zuckerberg right like that to one side he is basically betting not just meta um on this but he is betting his entire reputation today this if this fails you know like everything else will kind of be forgotten the facebook story in in my opinion um this is a this is an all-in bet that, that, that he's going for here and um yeah you know what like while i would rather meta weren't the ones that uh, hold the keys to the metaverse. I I want to see growth in the metaverse space, so I I would rather it it pays off, but I just want it to look a lot different to the walled gardens at least that we have today. Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree, Matt. And you know, to your point around conviction, I think you nailed it there. I mean, think about every other Fang company or you know company within that sphere. Um, can you name another? tech CEO at one of those companies that is operating with such strong conviction and taking such risk. Uh, I I think that it's quite the opposite, actually. It's all sort of like, keep it safe, you know, stick on the straight and narrow. And if that means that we kind of drift off into the web two sunset with billions of dollars and then it dies, like that's all right. You know, (laughs) Um, yeah, this is a, this is a huge, huge uh, departure from that and a huge bet that's being made here, which I guess you could say in in some respects is, you know, kind of on brand um, for, for meta, but this is definitely the biggest one so far. 
Well, I think that the sheer fact, and I'm, I'm sure we could talk for, for, for hours on this, right? But it's like, you know, this is not just like a monumentally big play that um, could be a big failure. This is actively disrupting your core revenue driver in an attempt to establish a whole new level of growth for the future and be a leader in what I think Zuckerberg believes yeah is like the next iteration of the web and social this isn't like oh metaverse is gonna be kind of the an additional revenue stream and if it doesn't play out I guess our like existing business model will continue no this is like this is going to be the future and it's going to replace everything we've built today. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, that's that in itself is, is, is a huge, huge like narrative to be pushing. And it's, yeah, I imagine very challenging for this transition period, which isn't just going to be a few months, right? Like this is a multi-year, potentially decade long process before they even begin to see some of the fruits of this. So yeah, I gotta, uh, I gotta give credit where where credit's due on on that front for sure. Yeah, succeed or fail, you've got to respect the conviction, and uh, you know, as they say, don't bet against the Zuck. Uh, so we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> All right. One one last quick thing that I wanted to touch on, Justin Sun. We've talked about him a lot on the podcast. Um, there's some <laughs> interesting data that came out uh, that's sort of heralding him as the macro master in crypto trading. Um, we we can link Good to God. The... <laughs> we can link to the tweet thread here, but look on chain did an analysis of Justin Sun's wallet and found that he sold six hundred seventy five thousand ETH, roughly two and a half billion dollars worth in the bull market, with an average price of thirty seven hundred dollars. <laughs> um, wow, I'll yeah. tell you, that's that's definitely not what I did. I'll tell you what Justin <laughs> Sun also allegedly is the master of insider trading. So it, I, 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 you know, I think that I, I, I think there's some correlation here, uh, which is interesting. But yeah, that no, I will say that is that is a pretty nice profit. Um, the the average price that he sold at was probably close to the uh, the total price that my entire ETH bag was uh, ended up being worth uh, before I sold any. So you know, <laughs> rough one there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, well, well, if you look at the chart, it's uh, gosh, man, it almost does look like an insider trading chart. It's so beautiful uh, when he consistently <laughs> sold at the peak of ETH prices. It's impressive one way or another. So. Justin Sun, yeah. the macro master in crypto trading. Unfortunately, uh, no Portugal news this week. We'll, we'll check back next week with you all on that. <laughs> that, is, that is very disappointing. Nearly as disappointing as knowing that Justin Sun is the macro master. But hey, <laughs> we, can't have, we can't have it all our way, I guess. Well, Austin, it's been uh, great catching up with you. I'll catch up next week and I'll update you on uh, who the new prime minister of the UK is um, <laughs> next week. Uh, until then, I'll, uh, I'll speak to you soon. Talk to you then, Matt. The contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.